Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Secret Podcast with Six Sense Media and Service of Change. I'm your host, Dennis Navi II. This is the show that challenges reality, question that we've been taught in hopes of inspiring the direction of thought to bring about change, making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. Got a really interesting episode this week on the Seeker Podcast. I'm going to be talking about comparisons between the Roswell crash incident and today, some secret programs going on that have come out through the To The Stars Academy. It's a further analysis. I know I started to touch on this last week, but I've come into even more relevant information that actually also ties into AI and the electromagnetic spectrum. If you're a follower of the show, you'll understand that those are common themes here. I've been reading the book The Day After Roswell by Colonel Corso, Philip Corso, and it's it's a fascinating story. And again, I mentioned this last week, but I've come across even more information that I think warrants our attention. I think it could give us a clue as to what exactly is happening today with To the Stars, with UFO Disclosure, with politics and government, and what the plan may be moving forward. I'm going to have, uh, of course, more questions than answers, but I think this is uh, well worth our time. I'm also playing Beat the Clock here. I put my daughter down for a nap a little bit ago, and she's I'm watching her on the monitor. And she's just not going down. So I'm hoping I get a half hour before she freaks out and uh, and get this show in today. Coming to you late. It's Sunday late afternoon. It's just been a crazy weekend for me. Just a lot going on, a lot to do, busy week. And uh, I was just feeling pretty tired. I tried to do the show last night, and I just couldn't keep my eyes open. So my apologies to my loyal listeners for being a day late. Uh, hopefully this doesn't happen often, but uh, here we are once again. All right, let's, uh, let's take a jump into the news here and see what's going on in the world around us. Some interesting stories coming out. I want to give a little side note here. And, Ray, let us take note. Uh, Ray Davis, my co-founder here with Sixth Sense Media. Let us never start a web page when we add content that starts playing automatically. This drives me absolutely crazy. Let's not inundate our viewers with pop-ups. I'm going to try to pull new stories from various sources. And all of a sudden... I'm clicking on Windows, and audio starts blaring out. Even though I set it up prior, they, they randomly must time it, so then if it's quiet for a little bit, it starts playing by itself. It just drives me crazy, and then the whole page freezes up, and you can't shut it off for like 15 seconds. I'm complaining here, but it wreaks havoc when I'm trying to get into the news. Don't do that. Stop spamming me. If I want to listen to your story, I'll click the play button myself. I don't need you to play it for me. All right, so let us make that promise at Six Sense Media. We're not going to do that uh, unless we warn you at first, I guess. All right, so... From the Daily Star, this, uh, this story is called Real Life Robocop, Car Giant Ford Developing AI-Driven Cop Car to Catch Speeding Drivers. The U.S. automotive firm revealed its plans to revolutionize how the roads are policed uh, used state-of-the-art technology. The automation cop car will be designed to snare drivers going too fast, will be used as a surveillance device, and will even be able to issue tickets to people. The AI police car will be fitted with cameras, wireless communication sensors, and is designed to go out and about in its own with a human, uh, on its own with a human inside. And it can even be linked to other police vehicles so it can call for backup in an emergency situation. All right, this bothers me. This, this really bothers me. Again, we're, we're taking 
the human element out of it even more and more. I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many problems with police today. I'm not saying police are the problem, but there's problems with the perception of police. Um, is this a better solution? Turning it over to robots to police us? Is that the road we really want to go down? Because keep in mind, all this AI is going to be communicating with one another in the cloud. And if one of its objectives is to police us and keep us following the rule of law, even though sometimes that rule of law might not be written in the best interest of mankind, but more so in the best interest of uh, corporations and their financial agendas, do we really want to link robotics to policing? Do we want to give them that authority to actually make those decisions, issue tickets for violations and things of that nature? I think that's a dangerous road to go down, and we're moving more and more, I think, into some kind of crazy Orwellian uh, dystopian society with that. So that's my two cents on that. All right, what do we got next here? This one's coming to us from Bloomberg. More robots. Robot delivery vans are arriving before self-driving cars. A secretive startup has unveiled its new grocery getter, one of many automakers that are leaving people out of the equation. As every major automaker and dozens of tech companies race to replace drivers in Uber and car Uber cars and taxi fleets, Noro is ignoring humans altogether and steering for Amazon.com, Inc., United Parcel Services, Inc., and any retailer looking to build its e-commerce business. We realize we could make it possible to deliver anything, anytime, anywhere, said co-founder Dave Ferguson. We like to call it a local teleportation service. Now, again, this sounds really cool, and there's a lot of benefits to it. And maybe this is what needs to happen. Let's look at both sides. Because I've been focusing on, you know, watch out, we're going to start losing jobs and stuff. Are there benefits to this? Could this become a green initiative? Could we reduce emissions? Could we create, use electric cars that are going to be make a better carbon footprint? Quite possibly. So what does that mean for the unemployment, the people who are going to, whose jobs are going to be displaced? Are we adequately preparing for this? This is a, a multi level problem that needs to be addressed in so many areas that I think in part starts with education. How are we educating our students? What are we teaching them? How are we preparing them for the future now? Now, I've worked on multiple ends of the spectrum in the education system, and I, I believe that our system can be doing much better than it is to prepare our students. If you read my, my first book, Service, I go into great detail of uh, the challenges that education has faced, which I believe to be some kind of subversion to, to further... Uh, de-educate the American people and, and really divide us amongst ourselves. It's, it's, it's a horrible situation that's going on in education. But we as educators, what are we doing to prepare for this? I think we start need to, right away, start looking at a new model. If you're a parent, uh, start putting pressure on your school board. Start writing letters. Get in touch with your legislators. Make them do your job. Re let's rewrite education curriculums Number one, that's designed to address all educational modalities of students. Not every kid's going to go to college. Not every kid's going to be a doctor. But those kids that who may end up getting service jobs, jobs beyond the mechanic and the Votech stuff, the kids that maybe ended up sweeping floors in a hospital or something, shouldn't we prepare them as best as possible to be the best floor sweeper that's out there? And I don't mean that in a condescending way. Let's look at every aspect and put out the best in each industry. All right, I could do a whole show on education. I, I, I just, it's an important subject to me. Anyway, maybe we can work with this. Instead of fighting it because it's happening, how can we work with this and keep these autonomous vehicles benefiting us instead of displacing us? Otherwise, we're looking at boycotts. And, I, I, you know, is that going to happen? Because we become so dependent on stuff. All right, 
Let's see the next one here. This comes to us from The Sun. I swear I'm two for two right now with automatic stories starting. This one so far, nothing. All right. When I say automatic stories, I mean, you know, the videos playing in my earphones. Going ape. Inside the bizarre world of human-chimp hybrids known as human Zs, as a renowned scientist claims one was born in a Florida lab before being killed by panicked doctors. Gordon Gallup, who coined the term human Z, claimed that his former university professor told him the bizarre crossbreed was born at a research facility. A human-chimpanzee hybrid was born in a Florida lab 100 years ago before being killed by panicked doctors, claims a renowned scientist. Evolutionary psychologist Gordon Gallup coined the term human Z, which refers to a human-chimp crossbreed, a significantly possible hybridization <clears throat> which was attempted throughout the 20th century. I got a picture of this thing, too. I'll have the links in the show notes at uh, sixcentsmedia.net and servicechange.com. Gallup, Gallup, who developed the famous mirror self-recognition test, provided uh, proof primates could acknowledge their own reflection, claims his former university professor told him that a human Z baby was born at a research facility where he used to work. Okay, so this is a, a fantastic story. Uh, I don't know. Is it true? Is it possible? I mean, I'm looking at pictures of this thing. Uh, it, it does have a slightly different face. I, I just... I just don't know. It has a much different face. I'm looking at comparisons to this. Take a look at it. You decide. This is one of those interesting stories. If anybody has more information on it, it would probably make for an interesting uh, discussion on the air. All right, this next one, this next one angers me quite a bit. This comes to us from USA Today. CDC director resigns after reports she she bought and sold tobacco company stocks. The head of the CDC has resigned after reports from Politico camp uh, came out saying she traded tobacco stocks one month after taking office. How frustrating is that? And this, I'll have this article up for you to read the whole thing. And there we go. It's automatically playing in my ear set. I can't stand these websites. How frustrating is that? And I, I just had a, a discussion with a whole bunch of people online the other day, which I try not to do. This discussion was talking about vaccines and how... People in the vaccine industry, and it was the watchdogs, the people who are deeming vaccines safe, also receive money for either their business or their own personal whatever contributions from the very companies that they're evaluating. And that's a conflict of interest. And my whole statement was, this is why I can't trust anything that says vaccines are safe. And the debate was, well, this doesn't mean the vaccines are unsafe. And no, it doesn't. But my point is, it challenges the credibility. I can't trust anything these companies say. Now, there are independent studies out there that say a variety of different things. My point being, if you're on the payroll of the company you're evaluating, you should, have, you should not be putting information out there when it comes to the safety of my children and my family. Now we have the head of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. We know tobacco is dangerous. We know cigarette smoking is not good. There's a lot of money invested in the cigarette industry, in the tobacco industry, and the woman who's in charge of the CDC responsible for making sure we all stay safe and remain from diseases and all that stuff is receiving money from them, and then she only resigns when she gets caught? That's disgusting. We need to have stricter guidelines on this. This is ridiculous. You should not be able to bounce back and forth between CDC or government jobs and uh, you know, and these companies that are making all this money that are poisoning our, our planet. It's a disgrace. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you. All right, next I want to direct you to our own website, sixcentsmedia.net. I have an article that I'll have in the show notes and in the secret newsletter that will go out later today. Uh, it's written by Ray Davis. Uh, he's been putting out a ton of content out there at Six Sense Media. So please, 
pop in daily and see what new stuff he's got up there. And, and uh, you know, we, we have episodes of the Secret Podcast going out there. Uh, a whole variety of topics. I'll list what's out there in a minute. Um, but right now, I want to draw your attention to an article called Selling the New Cold or Hot War with Russia. And it's a reflection by Ray on a recent David Icke um, video. David Icke wrote, uh, you know, did a video called So What's Next in 2018? And, you know, Ray was commenting on part two of it. Uh, in a recent video, David Icke discusses the push for conflict with Russia and China in his analysis of 2018 trends. Uh, uh, David Icke tends to tends to be pretty accurate with the predictions that he puts out there. We may not like to hear what he says, but he doesn't pull any punches, and I always appreciate that about, about David. Um, and Ray gives a pretty good breakdown of, of how you know, of what David was saying and, and what Ray has his own analysis put together and what I've put together my own analysis that we've talked about on the show here. It, it, it's like this, and I, this ties into what I'm going to get into this week. It's like the Cold War never ended. It, 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 and it really didn't. It really never ended because these things are still going on. As I said last week, as I'm teaching, it was just a coincidence I was teaching history, uh, teaching the Cold War just a week, two weeks ago. And as I'm going through these elements of the Cold War, I'm looking at modern-day history, and nothing has changed. So is history just repeating itself? Are we trapped in some form of weird, endless cycle? Or is there a playbook that people go through? They say, hey, this works to manipulate a society, and they just keep playing the same thing. If we're not trapped in some kind of, you know, divine time loop that may or may not be out of our control, and it's just a playbook, well, I think one of the most important things we can do is study history because then we have the ability to know what the next moves may be. We know what to anticipate. We know what we can expect to happen. When you go back and you look at history and you look at what happens in the build-up to wars and the build-ups to something like a holocaust, it really makes you think. And it can happen, and it did happen. And I'm not trying to scare you. Just study history is all that I'm saying. And I'm just going through a high school history book. This isn't, you know, and take that for what it's worth. But even that official version at the high school level has me going, oh my gosh, this is concerning. Okay, so please check out this article um, that, that Ray wrote that he put together, giving a, a pretty good breakdown. And, and he's it's not like a pro-Russia article, but it's just talking about everything Russia does, even if they're trying to defend themselves, we immediately want to demonize them. We want to throw Donald Trump into that. And we want to say, hey, they're bad guys. They're building up for war. We got to get ready. We got to protect ourselves from the Russians. And that's the same thing that happened in, you know, during the McCarthy era, during the Cold War. Everything was Russia. And you look at the propaganda. I mean, look at every movie that came out of the '80s and the '90s. The enemy was always the Russians. Look at Rocky Five. Who's he fighting? The Russian. I mean, that was that gets into our heads. Russians are bad. Russians are bad. I know several Russians. That you know, there's a there's a Russian population close to where I live. Nice people, okay? So we need to look beyond this propaganda and start looking at what's the bigger game here? Why are they using Russia to manipulate us, to manipulate these fears of war and keep us in that perpetual state of war or of fear of war happening? And the scary thing is they're talking now, again, oh, we have Russian moles within the government. And again, I talked about this on last week's show, and people that are uh, colluding with the Russians. And it brings us into McCarthyism. Now, here's my segue into, into tonight's topic. I want to compare um, the, the Roswell crash to the To the Stars Academy. And, and if you study David Icke, if you, if you study any of this stuff, 
if you can stay objective and legitimately keep asking why, you're going to find that everything is connected in somehow, some way, shape, or form. Religion, politics, the, the food and drug administration, health industry, wars, uh, you know, television, brainwashing, MKUltra, UFOs and aliens, ghosts, Hollywood movies, Satanism, religion. It's, it's all, the deeper you go, or I should say the further back you're able to pull, instead of being hyper-focused on maybe just ghosts and what they might be, the more you pull back, the more you see a web of how everything has a connection in some way, shape, or form to everything else. Now, I'm wondering if there's some grand orchestrator, I mean, that has to tie all this together, working towards some unseen goal at some point in time, and I think that there is. But what we need to understand is that there's a relationship between all this stuff that's that's going on. So I'm reading, I'm listening to the audio book by Colonel Corso, Phil Corso, called The Day After Roswell. And when I first started reading this, I, I took it with a grain of salt. I thought, oh, it's another Roswell book, and there's so much, so many different conflicting reports, different stories about this. I didn't, I really didn't expect the book to be that entertaining. And whether you think this is a complete work of fiction, or you think this is absolute fact, or somewhere in the middle, at a minimum, the book is entertaining. Um, what I'm seeing now are some interesting correlations and connections that are very difficult for me to deny, and I'm going to get into some of those uh, during this discussion here that I'm about to have. But he was what, the premise of the book is that a Roswell spa- a craft did crash, and a recovery team went out and took everything from this crash site, and that's when the cover-up began. And it created almost different factions within the government, the CIA, um, the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, they all wanted a piece of this technology. Well, it ended up in a file cabinet in a basement in the Pentagon. Um, and, and Colonel Corso ended up being assigned to research and development as one of two people who had possession of this stuff. And the, so basically what the book goes through in each chapter is how Colonel Corso took this alien technology and his job was to find a way to get it out to the companies that manufacture different products and get it in the mainstream without saying this is alien technology. So he had to introduce this foreign tech into our companies, he said, because he was being followed by the CIA, who he claims was compromised by the Russians. Sound familiar? He had the Air Force sniffing around. He had the Navy. Everybody was just trying to get a piece of this. And the Russians were obviously, the KGB was actively trying to get a hold of this tech. They may have had some alien tech of their own. Well, I'll get into the alien term in a minute. So all this stuff comes out, and he, he talked about lasers, um, microwaves, MREs, uh, what, what, uh, so many different, Kevlar, um, fiber optics. There's a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and, and basically the modern-day computer, the Internet, and I need to get into that as well, too. That's a fascinating story that he talks about, you know, with these silicon chips and everything. So he had all pieces of this stuff, and he had to get it out and, and release that technology. What's interesting is that the Cold War was going on at this point. He makes a claim. He says, hey, look, you know, in the spy world, the spies were really the ones that were preventing an actual war from happening. The politicians would have killed us a long time ago. He says, but we, you know, they were able to, to 
I guess depending on the way they delivered information or what information they chose to withhold or what the information they chose to give out, the spies were able to, they almost had like a professional working courtesy. He said, yes, some some uh, sacrifices were made, but we all basically were working together to prevent the war, even though we were, and at the same time, we were competing against one another. It's a really neat story um, hearing him talk about that. I'm trying to think what direction I want to go with this because there's so much I want to say. Let's talk about the politics first. At this time that Corso's doing this stuff, we're at the, at, you know, kind of like the height of the Cold War, McCarthyism is going on, Eisenhower's in power, um, and what Corso's objective was, he's working with a guy by the name of General Trudeau, what his objective was, was to also develop technology that the United States Army could use to fight off these aliens because he deemed them to be hostile, which is the opposite of what Dr. Greer says. That seems to be the Pentagon's uh, position, is that these aliens are hostile. If you look at the To the Stars Academy, this was the uh, aeronautical threat uh, identification program, or I'm sorry, uh, they were calling it the Unidentified Aerial Threat, uh, or UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Man, I can't get the words out today. So the military's position seems to be that it's it's threatening. So w- what they had was this, in, during Roswell, a craft came down. They, they suspect it was struck by lightning. Uh, electromagnetism had some kind of role to play in it. The craft came down and crashed. And they, they deemed it as a threat. No weapons were found on board. They found a pen-sized laser, which they believe was used for surgery, but they also said, well, maybe this is some kind of a weapon. But the reason why they suspected these things were a threat was because they were kind of making these appearances in places they, quote, weren't supposed supposed to be over military secure installations. They were turning off nuclear sites, and they were chasing our ships and then disappearing. And they were doing these high-speed maneuvers and, and, and things that we're incapable of doing, but never took any direct, I'd say, aggressive action that they've reported against our craft. Now, maybe there's other reports out there but it could have been an information-gathering thing. It does look like, from an intelligence standpoint, they were probing our defenses. They were seeing what our reaction time was. They were seeing how we would respond. So they were gathering intelligence on us, I guess. But I think it's a big leap to assume that automatically that they're a threat. Now, they did start getting reports, and, and Corso didn't get too much on into this, but uh, other agencies were looking into the cattle mutilations, the alien abductions, and all things that were going on on that, on that level. Which, to me, I suspect then, if that is the case, then they are, in fact, a threat. But I think sometimes they jump the gun on this. These are all a threat. You just don't have enough information at this point. So, yes, in order to be cautious, assume it's a threat and prepare for it. But I guess it frustrates me a little bit, two things. That he assumes they're all a threat in the book and that he refers to them as aliens. I listened to an interview with Hal Putoff and George Knapp the other day. And this is the difference. Hal Putoff is, is one of the board members of the To the Stars Academy. And, and I've talked about Hal before. Fantastic, phenomenal background. He's the developer of the remote viewing program. He's done a lot of work with lasers. Very intelligent guy. Uh, and he's worked you know, as a government insider for a long, long time. But what he was saying, he said, look, all bets are off right now. We don't know what they are. 
He says, I don't think that there's some black budget project. I, I, he says, I, I highly doubt that. He says, it's possible. He says, but it, they could be alien. He says, and he even did say, they could be some other terrestrial-based civilization that we don't know about. He says, as of right now, we're keeping our minds open to all possibilities. So I respect that, that Hal Putoff said that. But we just don't know what they are, just like they didn't know what they were back then. My question is, Colonel Corso is a guy with a, a verifiable, fantastic resume. He wrote this book in 1997. Why didn't it get the mainstream attention that To the Stars Academy is getting? Was Colonel Corso maybe phase one of this slow release of information to gradually get people used to the idea that there's something else out there? Is this what Stephen Greer talks about and, and uh, Bill Cooper talked about, how we're being set up for a mass deception, that UFOs exist and they're out there, but the government is also setting us up, setting the stage to manipulate us? I'm all over the place here. And again, at the same time, what what Colonel Corso was talking about was that their, their main agenda during this was to develop technology to better counteract these UFOs and these, quote, alien beings that pose a threat to us. Now, I came across randomly as I was teaching um, the Cold War to my, my juniors and seniors last week. It was a speech by Eisenhower, right? I think right around the time he was campaigning or taking office, he was, he was running. It was a, a random documentary. I want you to listen to the words that Eisenhower says at the end of this speech here. It's just about 15, 20 seconds here. Listen to what he says at the end, how he refers to the Russians and communism. Just take a listen here. The future of this country belongs to more courageous men. It belongs to men... It belongs to men who know that freedom's fight must be forever, relentless, uncompromising, and fair. It belongs to men who, today, are ready to bear spiritual and intellectual arms against an alien army of communist ideas. Did you hear what he said at the end? Who are ready, ready to bear physical and spiritual arms against an alien army of communist ideals. An alien army. Why would he choose those words? That's what gets me right there. Is he putting a message out there an alien army of communists? That's such a random word to use, given Eisenhower, according to Trudeau, was aware of the Roswell file. He appointed, I believe he's the one that appointed the Majestic team to investigate this stuff. He was a, a major insider trying to understand what this alien threat was. So why did he use the term alien? I think this may be a clue that some of what Colonel Corso is saying is true. This is addressed to the nation, but you know how sometimes people speak, they're dropping hints there, nobody else is going to know the wiser. So, are we fighting communism? Yes. Are they also preparing to fight aliens? I think that's what he's telling us right there. Fascinating piece. Again, it's those little things that we look for sometimes, but take it for what it's worth. I was excited when I heard that. I listened to it about 15 times. You can play it on repeat here if you want uh, as well, but that was pretty cool. To, to hear that connection. So let me jump into some of the highlights of the book that I've come through so far that have really provoked some thought here. The main one that got to me, it was uh, a couple statements here. I had the chills. 
I had to listen to this about five times. I wish I had the exact verbiage from it. Um, but they talk about, he talks about these complex silicon chips. And he says, you know, they had all this little tiny circuitry that we weren't used to. And he goes into the background of computers. It's a long, drawn-out description of how computers had to have vacuum tubes and everything, and how through discovering these tiny computer chips, it revolutionized our technology. And he said, this is 1997 when the book was written, and he made a statement. It's just a short statement. The exact wording, I don't know it by heart, but what he said was, I often wondered at times if these silicon chips were the real masters dropping themselves here intentionally for us to find to then integrate themselves within our society and take control. Now think about the power of that statement. He doesn't go back to that for the rest of the book. It was like a three-sentence statement that he made, okay? This is 1997. The Internet's just starting to take off, you know, in the mainstream of the public where everybody's starting to get a computer in the house and stuff. But look at it now. Just about everybody has a cell phone. Just about everybody has a computer or a laptop. Everybody's addicted to them. Everybody's stuck looking at them. We've got the wearable technology. You know, the, the Google Watch, the Google Glasses. I'm sorry, the, the Apple Watch, the Google Glasses. We're moving toward microchipping. We're moving toward uploading consciousness to a cloud and integrating ourselves through our voice activation stuff so we have less and less hardware, more and more software, more and more integration with our, our biological mechanisms to interact with this. If, if AI, the consciousness of some AI, is looking to invade the human race, what a great way to do it. That's like spreading a disease is what he was basically saying. They dropped a handful of chips in the desert somewhere that we found, and then we replicated that technology, which then created the portal for this AI to come into. What if that's what's happening? What if that's what's out there, and it's the technology that allows wherever this AI exists in some universal cloud somewhere, to better interface and infect and infest our own planet. That's the real alien technology. And let's take that a step further because he looked at the grays as he was going through some of these bodies that were recovered. He saw one before he ended up in this position. He saw one right after the crash by accident. He happened to cross paths with um, where they were storing one. But when he later became came into the Pentagon in the research and development, he was able to read a lot of these reports that he had access to. And he read the autopsy reports of these alien beings. And he said they seemed to be more either, number one, plant-based or robotic, as if they were designed as a robot to withstand long-term space travel or time travel. Now, this, this fits with a lot of different theories that are out there that the greys, you know, they're emotionless, they're, they're confused, they, they, they are just little cyborgs. What if that's all that they are, or all that some of them are, they replicate what the actual greys look like, but what if what he encountered was a cyborg? And it is another form of AI that's out there, that's interacting, that's doing the drone work. That's why a lot of people during abductions talk about they were surrounded by greys and the one in charge seemed to be some kind of manis-looking being that was coordinating what these other greys were doing that had a hive mentality. Hive, like connected to the cloud, like connected to an AI. 
Like they're not this own independent race, but they're this created AI robot race. Okay, you look at the Nag Hammadi Library, it talks about the Archons as being created as uh, looking like an, an aborted fetus, which would be a large head and bulbous eyes. Okay, there's connections here that's important to, to think about. The AI piece continues to come up. I didn't expect it with this book, but there it is, right there. Is there an AI that's that's the real threat that's trying to integrate with our own society and influence our consciousness? Has it already done so? I just don't know at this point, but it's something I think that's worth thinking about and dissecting uh, a little bit further. Two more things, I think, from this book I wanted to talk about. So he also makes the comment, he says, you know, he was just going off on a side note, but he says, if you want a military operation completed, you needed military personnel to do it. And that that resonated with me as well, because him and uh, and the general, General Trudeau, were looking at how are we going to make these things happen? How are we going to integrate this tech into society? How are we going to develop these weapons? And they were talking about outsourcing to civilian companies, but then he made that comment. Like, you want a military-style operation to be done, you got to have military personnel to do it. Well, enter the black budget. Enter all these private contracting agencies. And who are they staffed by? Prior military. It's a prerequisite to get into any of these major companies that are doing, dealing with all this stuff. Okay, so we have a private sector of power... Uh, prior military people who are doing a lot of these things. Now, let's look at the To the Stars Academy. Now, obviously, Tom DeLonge is nothing even remotely close to military. But look at everybody else that's there. They're all government officials um, or former military people. Okay, They have that mindset, that thought process, that training. To the Stars is just a private government company, basically. They're all people that have worked in the industry and are looking to work with the government moving forward. So, What's my point of, of going through this stuff here, besides the AI piece that I wanted to share? If, if Colonel, Colonel Corso is correct, if he's telling the truth, then the goal of his project at his time at R&D was to take technology from a foreign culture, I'm going to call it, and integrate it into the American people, into our society, without anybody knowing where it came from. That was his objective. Fast forward to today, to the STARS Academy. Their goal is to take technology from a foreign culture, possibly the same culture, and integrate it into society. But this time, they're doing it with the public awareness of it. My question is why? Because both of these programs came from the Pentagon. This book was written in 1997, so people in the Pentagon were absolutely aware of Colonel Corso's work. They had the ability to verify, was he telling the truth with what he did? So there is more to this story. We're not being told the whole story, even by the people at the Two to Stars Academy yet, in my opinion. Now, one of the things that Hal Putoff said the other day was that, because George Knapp asked him, he says, have you ever seen any technology? And he, he said that he did. He didn't know where it came from, but he said he did look at some of the technology that they have, didn't say what it was. He says, but it's, it's definitely nothing that he'd ever seen before. He doesn't know what culture made it, but it's nothing that we are capable of making at this point in time. So the tech is out there. We have it. 
And now I suspect that this To The Stars Academy is a way to bring it in into our use, into existence in the public eye. I also suspect that whatever they develop is already developed, which would bring in Stephen Greer's work. Um, you know, he talks about the black budget and the black projects. I think they already exist. I think now they're trying to make the black projects public. Some of them. They're trying to bring some of this tech out. For what reason? I don't know. Are they going to start promoting? Now, according to the analysis of David Icke and others, the next big threat, you know, we're through the terrorism threat. The next big threat is going to be asteroids. And then after asteroids, it's going to be aliens from the sky. So are they setting the stage is this the beginning of like a 10 to 20 year process of eventually saying there's aliens, they're coming and they're threatening us. But guess what? Because of the To The Stars Academy, we've gradually introduced this technology that we developed starting in 2018. Uh, and you guys are all aware of it, so there's no secrets. And now we can fight off the aliens and, and deal with this war. And by the way, you need to go to your FEMA camp. I know, doom and gloom, worst case scenario. But is that the long game here? This is, you know, the lines that, that I'm thinking about. What are, what are they trying to do with this? And people like Tom DeLonge may not even be aware of what that strategy is. I don't. He doesn't present as if he does have a clue as to, you know, what the ultimate goal is here. I hope that made sense, but that's, that's what's been in my head as I'm reading this is, number one, they're basically using the same playbook. The only thing they change is that they're being public about it now. Um, but I think they're still trying to do the same thing. They're trying, you know, the other thing they talked about when he first released this and this is concerning to me. Is they want everybody to have an app on their phone, and the app can report UFO sightings. Well, now they're all of a sudden going to be able to know where these things are, which tells me they don't always know where these things are and when they're popping up. So they're trying to use us to gather intelligence. And again, they may be a threat, they may not be. But what if they're not a threat? And yet we have this app on our phone to report a UFO sighting, and now we contribute to intelligence collecting that is then used against them, which is why we need 100% transparency, in my opinion, if we're going to be asked, period. We need 100% transparency to know what these things are and how we should interact with them. We need to be able to make sound decisions and speak with our elected officials about making those sound decisions and how we should move forward in dealing with this culture that's been here a lot longer than the 1950s. I believe. So there's a lot going on. Um, this is all mainstream stuff now. We just need to better understand it. These are the questions that still aren't being asked enough, and they're definitely not being asked or pursued within the mainstream. So I hope that you'll continue your due diligence in exploring this information and trying to understand exactly what's going on so you can avoid the manipulation that I think is uh, starting to happen, has been happening. As fantastic as this information is, I think there's more to the story. Let me make sure that's everything that I wanted to get into today. Um, yeah, the last thing you know that they talked about was the uh, the electromagnetic spectrum. There was some technology that he believes interfaces with electromagnetism. He says they were a headpiece, and he says he thinks that there's he found electromagnetic current that starts in the brain that he thinks interacted with technology that then allowed them to steer the ship because within the ship there was no controls there was no steering mechanisms so again connecting your brain to the cloud to, to work with the internet of things and control things like your vehicles that's what he found back then that's why i keep coming back to the electromagnetic field is of the utmost importance and it's something that we're not very aware of and it's something that is now being manipulated through the products that we're going to be buying, holding in our hands, carrying on our persons. 
We need to understand our natural connection to this field before we start using technology to manipulate it and really direct it in one way as opposed to another. That's why I say all the time, meditate, practice, uh, you know, accessing your own sixth sense and see what you can connect to before you connect to the cloud and the Internet of Things, which is where they want you. Okay, my friends, I'm just about out of time. Uh, thank you for entertaining uh, this show once again. It really means the world to me that I have a, a group of steady listeners each week. Uh, I hope I honor that by putting out interesting and helpful and useful content for all of you. I am truly thankful and honored each week that you keep tuning back. So thank you so much. I want to direct you back to sixcentsmedia.net. Uh, again, Ray is the king of content once again this week. Some great articles. The one I already referenced, Selling the New Cold or Hot War with Russia. There's a great article that he wrote, um, My 15 Favorite Albert Einstein Quotes. He has some affirmations up there. Uh, he talks about the power of your mind and uh, some stuff on uh, Earth Needs to Disclosure Kumbaya. I'll let you check that out and see what that stands for. And you can also check, um, have a growing archive. The most current episodes of The Secret Podcast are there, and I also have a growing archive of old shows that I'm backloading in there as well, so you can check it out, sixcentsmedia.net. That's all the time I have this week, my friends. Don't forget to check us out, facebook.com slash media. And on Twitter.com, six underscore sense underscore media. I saw Ray hit me up with a, uh, he's created a Pinterest board as well for us. I haven't had a chance to check that out yet, but there will be some plugs coming on that as well if you're into Pinterest to see what we have to share on that board as well. So thank you, my friends. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact on the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep open mind. ideas.